cliffcentral.com. The Matrix is a system, Neil. That system is our enemy. When you're inside, you look around, what do you see? Businessmen, teachers, lawyers, carpenters, the very minds of the people we are trying to save. But until we do, these people are still a part of that system, and that makes them our enemy. You have to understand, most of these people are not ready to be unplugged. And many of them are so inert, so hopelessly dependent on the system, that they will fight to protect it. Were you listening to me, Neo? Or were you looking at the woman in the red dress? I was... Look again. Freeze it. This... This isn't the Matrix. No. It's another training program designed to teach you one thing. If you are not one of us, you are one of them. What are they? Sentient programs. They can move in and out of any software still hardwired to their system. That means that anyone we haven't unplugged is potentially an agent. Inside the Matrix, they are everyone and they are no one. We have survived by hiding from them, by running from them. But they are the gatekeepers. They are guarding all the doors, they are holding all the keys, which means that sooner or later, someone is going to have to fight them. Someone. I won't lie to you, Neil. Every single man or woman who has stood their ground, everyone who has fought an agent has died. But where they have failed, you will succeed. Why? I've seen an agent punch through a concrete wall. Men have emptied entire clips at them and hit nothing but air. Yet their strength and their speed are still based in a world that is built on rules. Because of that, they will never be as strong or as fast as you can be. What are you trying to tell me? That I can dodge bullets? No, Neo. I'm trying to tell you that when you're ready, you won't have to. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to The Maid Sessions with Cliff Central. My name is Mbalin Jamane, and with me is this phenomenal African woman, Tuliza Cindy. Say hello, babe. Oh, says her. <laughs> Hi. Hey, whatever, man. whatever. <laughs> Speaking of phenomenal African women, we recently did an amazing interview with three exceptional women on defeating stigma. Today, we'll be playing you clips from this powerful interview and discussing the importance of everything that these women raised. The first woman is Lindy Washibambo. I mean, I literally don't know where to start with her. Hers is such an incredible story. She went from being a domestic worker at age 18 to now being a very successful businesswoman, proving that social mobility is attainable for all. In the true spirit of sisterhood, she now runs a placement agency for domestic workers that has placed over a thousand of these women in jobs, in addition to upskilling and empowering them in so many different ways. I mean, if ever there was a, a South African dream, Lindewe's journey is the ultimate example. So, Tools, yeah. why is Lindewe's story so important? Um, okay, so let me just break down how rare the situation is. It's 
Um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you hear these sort of stories all the time, but it is really quite a rare condition to be able to move social class and not just jump one, but jump two. Um, mm. so, so there was a study done in 2013 by the Pew Charitable Trust. Um, they're an American NGO mm-hmm. and they wanted to find out how, what the likelihood is of someone moving from one bracket to another. And in particular, from the um, lower income bracket to the middle or the upper. Right. Um, and they found that 70% are likely to remain in exactly the same place. With only 26... 70%? Yeah. Shucks. Seven zero. With 26% um, having the possibility of moving to middle class and only 4% moving to the upper class. Now, these numbers are, you know, very, very specific to certain condition. They realize that there's certain things that people that have been able to have that social mobility have in common. Mm. And some of those things include things like family wealth or or because of, of yeah, or because of associations to certain family members that might have um, power or money, then you know certain government promotions are then enabled onto you as opposed to so if it's, it's you are not associated. Yeah, if you're not associated, or it's existing family mm. wealth. Yeah. So, so and then the, there's obviously the exceptions, right? Who are maybe considered lucky. Um, on average, they, they've realized that it's virtually impossible to move from one bracket to the next if a person from that bracket that you're aiming for doesn't give you a hand in any type of way. Really? Yeah, it's Gosh. not, it's not, it's not quite possible to just jump into the next bracket on your own. That's interesting. Mm. Um, and so, so this, this truly is an exceptional story. I mean, I'm sure story. it's been done though. We, I, we should explore it. But I suppose it's a generalization. No, look, it makes sense. I mean, um, even if it's not a family member, I guess the idea of, um, you know, getting a leg up or an opportunity in some shape or form, yeah. uh, from the bracket above you. Yeah. makes sense, right? Yeah. Even if that's a, a job or, or whatever, you know? Yeah. You can't simply do it by yourself. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and so to just bring it a little bit back home, um, if we think then of our 54% of South Africa that is in, below the poverty line, it means based on... Is that on, really the number? Yeah, that's that's really the number. That doesn't sound as, right as, as, of last, as of last year, that is the number. Bef- below the poverty... The, which poverty line? Because there's, there's three tiers of okay. poverty. Okay. And it's so it's essentially from the highest of those three tiers... Mm that 54% of our country lives below it. Um, and that is earning about 779 rand a month, which is which amounts to 25 rand 50 a day. That's a large number. Yeah, it is. Because the unemployment rate is lower than that. Yeah. So that's, that's saying there are people employed who are still yes. living below the poverty line. Yes, that's essentially what this is. And... And Which so defeats it, the point <laughs> of creating jobs, but anyway. But if we look at that percentage mm. in relation to a 70% bracket that will not make it out of it, it means that 38% of our country is not likely to make it out of poverty. And that is a grave amount. So again, she is exceptional. Oh, wow. She is really, she really one of has achieved the impossible. And I mean, I can't really wrap my mind around that math because it's, you know, it's never been like, a very strong part of my brain. <laughs> so I'll, take, I'll take your word for it, but I mean, shucks, those statistics are shocking. And yeah. again, like you're saying, they reinforce just how, how 
amazing and impossible what Lindy's achieved is. And what I particularly love about the, her story is, is so many people escape poverty, attain privilege, and then get comfy at the top of the pyramid, right? And then claim that whatever value they create up there effortlessly trickles down, mm. which we all know is a very convenient understanding of real world economics. However, this woman plows back directly into the LSM group she came out of, which is such an admirable thing. Yeah. I mean, you hardly ever hear that. Um, yeah, so mad respect for her. Anyway, let's dig in. So first of all, Lindy describes to us uh, what her upbringing was, and she also talks about the power of a choice. Uh, my name is Lindy. I'm, I'm the humble daughter of the soil. I was raised in Pretoria in Soshanguve. I come from a family of seven. Mm-hmm. I'm the fourth child, so I'm a middle child. Um, Can I ask your age? Not really. I'm not yet 40. But I'm, I'm 15 minutes to 40. I'm like 40. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I, I'm, I'm the eldest daughter. Okay. Um, I've got, I've got siblings and I've got older brothers and so forth. Um, and uh, the, really generally my story is I came from Sojangovi and I came from a household where we were very, very poor. Mm. And Oftentimes, people tend to think if you all come from Deep Slot or Alexander or Soshanguva Tridgeville, you are of the same class. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not the case. Even in townships, in rural areas, everywhere, there are classes of families. Absolutely. So I was in that class where I was the lowest of the lowest. So sure. I, I, I grew up in a house where seven of us stayed in a two-bedroom house with my parents. And mm-hmm. most of the time, we did not have electricity. And uh, for many years, my father was unemployed. So my mother had to be the sole breadwinner. To fast track, obviously when I finished my metric at that time, I understood that there was no money to further my studies. Mm. But I had dreams, I had ambitions. I might have been poor, I might have walked barefooted. Yes, I might have been marginalized. People might have made jokes about me. And the more they did, the more I had dreams. And my dreams was to get out of poverty, Mm. was to make better of my life. And every day I, I would wake up and ask myself, why does... A particular person has cheese and paloni in their sandwich and I have no sandwich at all. Mm. How come other kids living in particular? And I never resented them or their families. Mm. I wanted to become the parent that can provide cheese and paloni to their children. And to a large extent, I started thinking around choices, Mm. around Every circumstances, you know, we come from, all of us have a backstory. All of us have history behind us and so forth. Mm. But I got to understand at a young age that I have the choice. I have the choice to get out. I have the choice to be the 30 or 26% to get out of that space. I was very privileged that one day I was sitting and watching TV at my friend's house and there was an advert that came on. It was Tony Robinson something. Oh, Tony Robinson. Yeah. Yes. The <laughs> yes man. Oh my God. You know, and I was very young. He's so cheesy, and but it works. It works. <laughs> and, and I was, I was, yeah, I was literally in primary school and they were selling DVDs of this guy and he said something. It was not even more for more than five minutes. Mm. That he spoke about choices and you having the power to get out of that particular circumstance. How old did you say you were when you saw him? I was in primary. I was so young, hey? Wow, and that resonated. And it resonated forever. Mm. And I think it kept me going. But for me, it was like, let it be something that keeps me going so I stay alive and I sort of, you know, don't see what is happening around me and whatnot. Mm. Little did I know that it it was building up and, you know, I was internalizing Mm. it. You know, Tuls, I think knowing you have a choice 
even before you make one is such an important part of this. Yeah. Because so many people never realize that they actually do. You know, and we constantly criticize people for making poor choices, but I don't think we ever consider whether they recognized the choice in the first place. And I think one of the things that makes Lindywe an exceptional part of, of this demographic, of her demographic, right? This group of women, you know, is that she realized at an early age that in spite of her circumstances, there was an alternative. And you can't, as a human being, you, you can't attain, you cannot achieve something that you cannot envisage. But what I also appreciate is that she she picked up on all the things that allowed her to realize she has choice, mm. you know, because um, often we don't realize that we're surrounded by things that make us believe we don't have choice. Mm. But I like that she she knew and she could piece together the things that allowed her to believe that more is possible. And I mean, she talks about how her mom was such a strong woman. Right. And that goes a long way um, to me. It says something must have gone very right yeah. in her in her childhood and her upbringing you know for her to be ready to to receive mm. um to receive the choice mm. okay next she talks about stepping stones and as she does you've got to just ask yourself how far you'd be willing to go to fulfill your goals anyway have a listen end of high school i finished my matric i know that i had no money to further my studies i wanted to study my career choice was based on 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 my circumstances so i wanted to study anything that would teach me about money i wanted to understand why other people have it and others don't and why two mm. people can receive a tender note as you're saying and mm. somebody can make it go and somebody can't so i sort of focused on wanting to build my career in finance and someone said actually you can be an accountant and i said as long as there's money issues there <laughs> and they said no no you have to study uh, what f become accounting yeah. well i didn't qualify so i went and i wanted to study for auditing but now how am i going to do that if i have no money to register and i sort of started praying about it and i said to the universe you know what whatever opportunity that you can give me hmm. as a stepping stone towards my dream because the truth is you might have dreams but there has to be something you do in the meantime mm. and i had to understand the process of in the meantime and i will submit oh, wow. to whatever that is presented to me and i will take it and i will cherish it and i'll understand it for what it is so this woman didn't just ask the universe to make her dreams come true, which most of us do, right? Yeah. And then we get lazy and disgruntled if we don't get what we, what we imagined, the way that we imagined it. No, that's not what she did. She asked for a stepping stone and was willing to accept it for what it was in order to get closer to her dream. Yeah. I mean, I find that so remarkable. Shucks, I mean, Tools, could you... <laughs> Could you imagine yourself doing domestic work to support a dream? <laughs> no, not not at all. And it's not even looking down on the job. I think um, I'm I'm so averse to environments that right. mistreat people right. um, in general. And so for her to have had that vision so so real in her mind that she was willing to look beyond all of those things because that vision was so much greater than that immediate moment is really an exceptional lesson. Such incredible take. strength. And I, I mean, I agree with you. I, I want to say that I could, but I, I don't, I don't know <laughs> that I could, you know? And I honestly think in this case, that's what separates the women from the girls. You know, I must say, um, we all like to think we would go to great lengths to achieve what we believe, but 
I honestly, I don't think it's often the case. I think maybe there's there's different versions of risk, you mm, know. Mm. For her, you know, so for her, that was maybe less of a risk than something else, and maybe mm. you know someone else would take another risk and wouldn't take that one. Um, Speaking of right perceptions, so mm. uh, next she speaks about she speaks about becoming a domestic worker, and how what seemed to her perception, an easy and ordinary job, was slowly perverted by people's superficial perceptions. Yes. Right? And that speaks to what you're saying about, you know, versions of risk. Um, but anyway, have a listen to this. I must say, you know, for me, um, uh, I, I, I acknowledged being what a domestic worker was. And I remember when my auntie told me, listen, I couldn't get you a job as a cleaner, but I've got a colleague of mine who's staying in Pretoria in town who wants you to look after two kids and do domestic work and so forth. I wasn't that much exposed to what domestic work was. So I said, please, what does this job entail? Mm. My auntie said, you clean, you cook, you do this, you take care of two kids, you play with them. And I said, hey, and I get paid for that. <laughs> you know? So you seem like the... That's what I do. I'm a... I'm easiest thing in the world. It's and easy money. I do it. And I said, but I do that at home for my yeah. siblings. And I clean Precisely, and, and, I cook, yes. and nobody pays me. So for me, it was never like, oh my God, oh, can I really do that? It was like, oh, well, I'll do it gladly. And I sleep there and they give me food. How? And wow. they pay me. That's I think. So, so from that the beginning, was there wasn't a bad stigma associated. There, there, there wasn't. Only when I... After I started working right. And then I, I got see. to understand It's yeah. like a young child who grows up of a certain color yeah. And and they, they see themselves as kids And they play together And at a certain age Because parents are parents they, they We make them conscious of Actually you mm. are You know So people mm. in the bus In my uniform That we'll speak about later uh, My my few friends that I got to tell that I got this job and this one I'm doing you aware of the stigma. already started, you know, oh, oh, okay, this is what you do. Oh, there's Gibo Mebako Kitchen and what, mm. and it's not a dignified work and mm. what. And, and then I started, you know, pulling back and never telling people what I'm doing anymore. There's lots of exploitation in this space. So I was one of the privileged ones that worked for a very wonderful family. They embraced me. They loved what I did. I mean, obviously they would have loved me. I was a child and I was playing with their kids and I had the energy to take care of their kids. Mm. So, so the, the domestic worker who was there before was an older auntie. So, to a large extent, you know, the stairs and playing with the kids and running around was a bore to her. But mm. for me, it was amazing. They were like my little brothers and sisters, and we had fun. And yet, I cleaned with pride and dignity. And one thing that I I did, and one thing that I share with domestic workers that I get to meet in different workshops and stuff, I always say. Everything you do, do it with all your heart. We speak to the madams. I mean, um, as much as I, I do this business, I also get invited to, to, to motivate women generally. And when I get a sitting with my madams, I get to share this with them. And when I have a sitting at any sitting, and anyone who knows me will tell you, Lindy, do emphasize that get to know your maid because the privilege that I had was because my employer took interest in me and she mm. said you're very young why are you doing this and I clearly said I want to study I want to further my study and she said to me I can't give you more money but I'm going to make sure that on the Saturdays and Sundays and holidays where you're not working you babysit for my friends oh my. so you oh. make more money you understand so if you take interest in your employee it actually would benefit you more than it benefits them you are saying to somebody I appreciate you 
in my house. I want you to be here, mm -hmm. but I also don't want to close yourself out to the world and what you want to achieve, mm -hmm. you know. But honestly, as, as someone who speaks to madams, how often do madams say that to their domestic workers? You'll be so amazed that employers in South Africa truly appreciate their domestic workers. You, it's, it's unfortunate that the cases that are being publicized in our own media and everywhere else are about bad things that have happened. So it will be about domestic workers who commit crime, it will be on the news. It will be a domestic worker who beat up a child and whatever, it will be on the news. It's about the madam who exploits a domestic worker and paid her 800 and therefore, therefore, therefore. And, and we never get to hear the true wonderful South African stories. You have madams that take their domestic workers' children to university, to school. You have, uh, you know, employers that their children will say, I want auntie to walk me down the aisle. We never get oh, to hear wow. about those stories That's because, amazing. and we end up being in the mindset of, yeah, you know what, there's exploitation and the employers, employers. But we also have to be uh, sensitive enough to understand that there are employees that exploit kind-hearted employers. Mm. So what I try to do is to try to balance it out. Mm. I get to meet so many domestic workers. I mean, I would have uh, maybe 60 to 100 seating in a workshop and I have to speak to them. I have to inspire them and tell them about my story. What I usually say is the first thing you need to understand in any sector whatsoever is that you have the power. So if someone says you are this and that and you are that and that and you take it, you, 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 you exercise your power to take it and receive it. Wow. But if you block it out and understand that what I do doesn't define who I am. Yes. yes, I'm Lindy with the entrepreneur and so forth, but there is Lindy with the soul who lives within me. Mm -hmm. There's Lindy with the mother, the wife, the carer, the so forth. So if you are defined, and that's why if you look at South Africa today, you have people who have got material things and then they act a certain way because they've got those things because they think they are defined by the cars they drive and but you need to understand as a human being, you are not defined by that. Yes. There is a soul within you. You're defined from the inside you. out, yes. not from the outside So in. as a domestic worker, you need to understand that I'm a mother. And I say to employers when I get an opportunity to interact with them, listen to me, employers, at some point, take your auntie home and sit with her and have tea. You realize she's a mother. She's an auntie. She's a treasurer at church. She's a chairperson of the Women's League. She is so-and-so. I love what she says about the stories we don't hear. Because it's true. Mm. The media is obsessed with negativity. And that's because human beings get their kicks out of those narratives. Yeah. And we blame the media, but the media is actually a reflection on the human race. Mm. You know, it's just so easy to scapegoat it. Okay, so first of all, I love how she says, as much as you're given a label, you choose to receive it. Yes. Because as soon as you realize that, you can begin to educate people on these very dated preconceptions we have, right? And I always say uh, the problem with the human brain is that it struggles with nuance. You know, we're not smart enough yet uh, not to stereotype, mm. right? It's just it's just easier for our brains. Um, but isn't it fun to prove people wrong? It's 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 honestly it's the most fun of my life to be like, hold on, you know, I'm not that kind of of feminist. Um, Gosh, I'm not that kind of capitalist. I'm not, I'm not that kind of, uh, Eminem fan, you know? Mm. Um, and to break, uh, to break those stereotypes or to turn them on, on their heads. I think that's a critical part of evolution is, is what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's nuance, you know? It's, it's realizing that people can be all these, um, seemingly contradictory things. And in this case, it's saying I'm not that kind of domestic worker because actually there is no kind. Of domestic worker, right? Yeah. Well, I There's guess people. Yes, I mm. guess. I guess essentially, my issue still lies with the fact that there is 
a version of anything to begin with exactly. as a default. Yeah. And that you have to prove it wrong. Mm. You know, who decided that and no, why? But I promise you, it's, a, it, it's just, it's our brains. It's literally evolution. I, I feel like one day we will genuinely be smart enough to conceive of every nuance in the world. Um, but I think until then that we're, we're going to continue to seek these patterns, mm. you know? I'm not I'm not so sure if it is just us or if it is a conditioning. I think I think some people back in the day decided that this is how we will Sure, go. and then uh, and then a whole lot of people were just lazy. <laughs> <laughs> lazy or or forcibly made to believe in the same way. Uh lazy in large part. I think forced. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, <laughs> we won't have this debate now. We'll save it for another day. Um, okay, so next she talks about um, pity. And pity is actually, I'm realizing, such a huge part of creating stigma. And I don't think that people realize when they pity somebody, which is, mind you, different from empathy. I don't think they realize that pity, although it comes from a, a compassionate place can put somebody down and it's something that we we should really be careful about um so she talks about that here at some point you sit and say maybe i'm born for poverty maybe i am not you know i I remember at some point i started believing that there are families that are born to be wealthy and succeed and maybe i'm one of those who are not chosen to be in that space because everybody else i mean and you know you 18 19 adolescent stage and boys hit on you and Mm. immediately when they get to understand what you do they pull back and your friends have boyfriends and everybody's having fun and you can't and i think what you know what kept me going was my dream and my vision to say listen i'm here to raise money so i can enroll at a tertiary institution and i can further my studies but they do affect you and at some point you'll be trapped and, and you'll sit in that one space and never get out so what i'm saying is what got me out mm. was what got me there in the first place even in my first year on weekends i still did domestic work until i got a job at cutbeds and so forth but i still did it on weekends okay it gave me pocket money but did you struggle then especially if those two spaces now intersected right you were a domestic worker in tertiary did you struggle even more with confidence i mean I'm, I'm trying to understand how you, you were able to reestablish your, your, your self-esteem and your I self-worth. Think, I think with me, the strategy was I'm not going to tell anyone what I'm doing. Mm. I'm not going to have friends. I mean, my friends that I got at tertiary, I'm sure they became my friends during my second year. So I was too much of a loner because I felt if people understand you and they know you know what you're doing, mm. they start disrespecting you and gossiping about you. Right. So my strategy was to just build this wall around myself and never have a lot of friends. So people don't ask me where you're going, what you're doing and so forth. And um, even today, you've got people that I went to school with at university that were like, we did not know that's where she came from. But that's from. important because I think having confidence is such a big part of getting through university. It's so important at that stage to protect your confidence um, by any means possible because it really affects your, your, your academic output. And you need to understand that, you know, you need to firstly understand your journey and understand that, you know, uh, my, my thinking was my problems are my problem and I would share them with God. I don't have to tell the whole world about my problems and tell them and start crying and be emotional. And after I do that and I tell them my life story and tell them, you know what, I didn't have bread last night and so forth. It's not like they're going to put a million in my account. Exactly. Did you did it's you not ever ask or seek sympathy? No. 
I think my mother was so tough on us. Eh? <laughs> that woman. She, she never believed in that. She always said to us, you know what, my child, you can sit eh, in, a, in, a, in an auditorium full of people and tell them your life story and seek sympathy, seek pity, pity, and they'll all say shame and walk away. And move on. Only a few will say, here's 50 cent, and that 50 cent won't sustain the rest of your life. Mm. You need to understand that your story is your story and you need to understand that you need to do something to sort yourself out. Okay, but again, I think we need to be clear that she's talking about pity or sympathy, right? Which uh, which is very it's very different from empathy. Uh, pity is where you feel bad for someone because you think they're somehow lesser than you. Instead of trying to put yourself in their shoes, which is is called empathy and and I think is is far more empowering. Um, so I think it's just something, you know, to, to really be mindful of. Do you think that sometimes um, we might run out of empathy because, you know, every single one of us as human beings are going through so much that there's only so much we can care for or think about with regards to anyone else? Oh, so now and you're talking is, about that, that evolution <laughs> I was talking about. <laughs> Uh, yeah, potato, potato. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're talking about an emotional evolution. Yeah. Uh, from my gut, yeah, I would say that our spirits, our emotions, are, I think, are a slightly more um, limitless than our our intellect. Yeah. Um, so, so I, do we attach empathy to intellect, and is that why it runs out? That's interesting. We should get a, a psychologist in here for that. We should. Yeah. That's very fascinating because I think actually you're, you're probably onto something. Um, because, uh, empathy can be theorized, which yeah. I think is, is, is a big part of the movement with, uh, like what philanthropy and, yeah. and, and whatnot, you know, there's a formula and charity now. and, and corporate social investment, you know, it's becoming yeah. uh, such a, a discipline, such a, 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 a theorized space, like a formula, like, yes. like you're saying, um, which I, I really don't think is the point, you know, you can't attach figures to it. Yeah. Um, and I think if, if you do, then, um, it, it does create boundaries. Mm. Interesting. Very interesting. Okay. Um, before we get carried away. <laughs> As we do. <laughs> uh, finally, anyway, um, talks about starting her incredible business, Made for You. It's very cool. Check it out. So fast forward to me finishing my matric and then going as, working as a domestic worker, having challenges. And I must say I had wonderful employers, but I had challenges. So here comes a child from Soshanguve whose mother's house half of the time did not have electricity. She walks into a Santan home and you have a microwave and a laundry machine and a what what and a and a TV, and you expect me to know how to maintain them, how to operate them, how to clean them. How do you expect me to do that? And I come from this environment where my confident levels are so low that I can't raise my voice and say, you know, madam, uh, my mother, we did not have electricity. Mm. What is this microwave thing? What do we do with it? Mm. How do I clean? How do I even switch it on? How do I, you know? And and those are challenges that I had. And, and I, I, I meet a lot of employers that will say, but I had three domestic workers and they all leave. They don't say anything. Is there something wrong with me? And I say, no, the problem is induction. When you go into a job, you are inducted into that job. Mm. You assume that auntie, because the mother and took care of four kids, she'll know how to take care of your beautiful child who's got eczema. You're not taking them through the sure. process of how to do this one, two, three, four, five. So those were the big challenges that I had. But fast forward, went to TUT, did my uh, auditing, and later on went into the SRC. And I had to go into SRC because 
SRC got free tuition. Um, oh, and wow. I had no money to go to school. Mm. I mean, you must remember where I come from. Mm. And uh, my first year was, that, that was... can't have been your only motivation. You don't seem like the kind of person... <laughs> you do also seem like a leader. You I seem like also, it would have come naturally to you to just... The active step yeah. into that space. Me, yeah. yes. Because now I went into these meetings and SRCs were speaking. And they said, why is this what's so important about this? People said, no, they are leadership and they get free tuition, free food, what, what, what. And I thought, <laughs> okay, that's my game plan for my second year. So I, I campaigned to be an SRC member. You know, I learned how to read the manifesto, really. And one of the things that I speak about when I speak about my life is at every stage of my life, I perfected whatever I had to do. I made it my priority to understand it, know it, and be a specialist in that space. Because in that way, it fast checks my, that's how, that's my testimony. I saw myself growing quicker than mm-hmm. someone who sit there and say, I'm not going to be a domestic worker and, and be clumsy and undermine what they do. So, SRC and then I got an ATM in for the institution and um, I worked with a bank that got the, the ATM in. They wanted clients. I said, I'll volunteer and help you get clients, you know, complete the forms and so forth and put flyers all over the campus. And I did that. At the end of it all, they said, what is it that you want from us? You know, and that was like, you know, and I said, as long as you promise me when I finish my third year, you're going to give me a job. That's, and they said, that's the DNA we're looking for. And I got a job in the bank. Fast forward, I walk into a bank. At the time, the bank is predominantly white. Of mm. course. And Indian, few colors. And everybody who wanted a domestic worker came to the girl from the township. The perception being she's got a hundred aunties who are unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> and if you are sensitive and you don't understand issues of journey and your destination, you'll be like, oh, but I, they are my colleagues. We earn the same salary. But for me, it was, what is it that the universe is telling me? Mm. Why do these people see a solution with me? I didn't look at it like, oh, they're thinking, oh, she's the poor one. And you know what? I'll go out of my way. I'll go to the township, I'll go to the rural areas, wherever, surrounding areas, over the weekend, and interview women and say, listen, uh, Ucho Han is looking for a domestic worker in, in Amanda Second, Pretoria North. She has two kids. Auntie, can you do it? Auntie will say, no, but I can't speak English. I say, okay, do you know anyone else? But did you start doing this with a business in mind? Not at all. Not at all. Because I just You're wanted just to be... You're just that proactive. I wanted to be wow. popular amongst my colleagues. You know? <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. That's one way to do it. And Bali, so amazing. I would make I would match it nicely. And, you know, months later, the, my colleagues would come to me, Lindy, well, thank you so much. Auntie's still with us and so forth. Fast track, I left F&B, wait for HSBC at the stock exchange. Same thing happens, and I'm like, okay, what's happening now? Because there are other black people. Who are on the township? Why is this person, you know, thinking that I'm the one? But then I also did that. I would, I would help them. But then in 2004, I had my first child, and it was such... An issue for me to get a nanny slash domestic worker. And for the first time, I walked a mile in a shoe of an employer who's frustrated, a mother who's building her career, a mother who just had a first child. How many, how many domestic workers and employers did you match before you actually started your business? I lost count, hey? Are you serious? I lost count. Before you you, you even realized it was a business. So you weren't getting commission on it? No, nothing. I was just (laughs) thinking, you know, breaking rice, breaking rice. I mean, that is, honest. nobody else would do that. One day, I, I, very early in the morning, I'm sure five o'clock, and these things happen during that time, you know. Of course, always, always, yes. And I'm in a taxi, and I said, "Uh uh-uh, I can do this. 
I'm the answer because of all the research that I've done. My goodness. And I walked a shoe in the, in the shoe of a domestic worker. I walk a mile in a shoe of a domestic worker. I know what the issues are and now I understand what employers' issues are. Then I said that to my friend in H. I said, I've, I've registered the company. I'm so excited and I want to do the placement for domestic workers. I want to see if we can train them. And, and she says, what's the name of the company? And I said, Bapu, I said, you. That's issues of BEE. Can you not come up with something else? And I said, but what can I come up with? And she said, what is your favorite brand? I remember she said, what is your favorite brand? And you must choose a brand that speaks to you and is clear and is pure. I hope I'm not promoting this brand. That's fine. And, I, and, and, and I said, I love first for women insurance. She mm. said, you know, when you mm. say first for women insurance, besides power, you read first for women, you know what they do and for who. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And yes. I said, okay, I, and I'll be, and I, I, I watched that Jennifer Lopez movie made uh, in Manhattan. Mm. Yes. And I said, I'll say made in South Africa. She says, okay, that sounds like a, a, a garment that <laughs> people did, you know. <laughs> made in Hong Kong. And I struggled so much to get made for, and at some point, you know, these things come and I'm made, made in South Africa, made in Houtime. And one day it just came and it said made for you. Right now, made for you is being packaged as a franchise. And our potential franchisees are former domestic workers. Oh, that is That's amazing. a criteria. Goodness, you are levels and levels and levels amazing. of power. I know that. I rock like that. Woman, can And you didn't deny it. I love it. <laughs> no, no, you must own your skills. You're, you're honestly, yes. you're my hero. I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm so humbled by that and I'm so humbled by all wow. the sponsorships and funding and support that we're getting for the franchise because uh, one of my dreams has always been, can we not empower domestic workers to be more, mm. to be entrepreneurs? Can we not clone Lindyways? Can we not have millions of Lindyways around the world? Because when you have a million Lindyways, they can clone other Lindyways. You get what I'm saying? I, so, yeah. and, and, and through But the not just Lindyways, right? Mm. Um, because... You know, I think I think everyone has their unique experience to to, to bring to the table. Yes. Oh my goodness! We, I, we 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 and and then when we sat and because the business was identified by DTI through a project called Township Project to to be duplicated as a as a franchise, mm. and you sit with specialists and experts within the franchise space, and they tell you how they're going to package it. And I said, the one thing about this is you need to understand, when we speak criteria on franchises, we're speaking former domestic workers, former cleaners, former, you know, people who come from that space, because they are able to relate to a domestic worker at that level. Dude, so the really dope thing about her business, like she says, is that all her franchisees will be domestic workers. How cool is that? Incredible, like you know, t- t- an actual pursuit of ownership. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing. Shucks, that's levels of power, man. Yeah. Um, Lindy Way talks about how, and this is something um, very close to our hearts. She talks about how one African woman's struggle is essentially another's too, uh, which is really at the heart of of these sessions and everything else that uh, Tools and I are trying to do with. With made. So I was nominated for an award and one of the things they asked me, because sometimes when you're nominated, you go for interviews. So you find that's 14 nominees and so forth. And they said, but what makes you special in this space and so forth? And I said, because I lived through it yes. and it's in my DNA, it's in my blood. Yeah. Um, they, I don't believe there's any aspect about domestic workers that you can ask me that I don't know. If you ask me about the law, I'll tell you it's sectoral determination seven. Which section <laughs> of it I will tell you maternity leave is governed by what section? 
Yeah, you tell me about, mm. and it's not because of, and it's because I do something that I love, and I do something that only doesn't make me look good as a successful business person. For me, it's not about that. For me, it's about impacting on the lives of people that are marginalized. For many years, they've been marginalized. Yes. People that have been exploited, and also protecting household South Africa from, you know, people that want to take advantage of kind employers. And to to an extent, and, and I got, I must mention, I did win the award, mm. and when I won, of course it, you won the award. <laughs> I mean, there was no doubt. Job And when I won it, people were surprised that when I went up and, oh, you, this Lindy was successful. And I said, this is not about that. This is about celebrating our grandmothers and great grandmothers who worked as domestic workers before. Which is exactly why we do this. Yes. It's it's not about the the glitz and glam. That comes and we appreciate and we love it because we have to feed that side of our lives. But to a large extent, it's about women who came before us and struggled through this and died through this. Mm. And I always say to employers, I never want to see my domestic worker uh, taking retirement after 10 years and she's given a black plastic with clothes. Hence, we have a provident fund. Mm. Like a normal employee that gets a provident fund, the person must go and claim UIF. We do it for her. They must get their provident fund. And that's why today, and I'm going to speak about, we do pay slips. Mm. One of the things that we emphasize with employers is that you need to have a pay slip and a clear pay slip that specifies how much the person is earning, the hours, is there overtime and so forth. Because that in its own is saying to a person, I appreciate you being here. Mm. And that person walks tall because she's now an employee. Mm. And I say to my ladies, wear that apron branded made for you with pride and dignity because what you do nobody else can do mm. it's you it's who you are it's and you're, your you're, you're an individual you know you're not somebody else's property as soon as you have that pay, pay slip it gives you agency yes how powerful is that you know yeah um she wins that award and then she goes up and she makes it about african women and she says to people it's actually not about me you know she almost denounces the title there and she says um it's about it's about um our our mothers and our grandmothers you know and uh, mm. as much as you and i it's also can't relate to to this life we mm. can't relate to, to to the life of a domestic worker um i think we definitely do feel it still in our dna because uh we come out of families that were raised in, in large part by women who did this work okay so now we move on to quite a cool one. Uh, we asked her a philosophical question. Uh, we said to her, what does wealth have to learn from poverty? Because it's presumed that wealth is smarter than poverty. Um, but that's not always the case. And, and this is what she had to say. One of the things that I do for myself is I take my kids to different areas where mm. they can see different classes of people. I love that. But Aww. also understand that their blood is all red. I love That's that. the concept. Oh they need goodness. to understand that. So I'll take them to Maravastad. One day I took my kids to Maravastad. I took my, my nephews, the boys, to, to, to Maravastad. And it's like small street. So people are selling vegetables and all. And I said, what do you see? And they said, oh, that is a street vendor. I said, that's not, that's an entrepreneur. Oh. I said, that's an entrepreneur. This guy wakes up every morning, goes to Maravastad, big market, fruit market, get the veggies, puts a price on them, put a margin on them. 
it's easy for that person to become a mutsipe tomorrow yes. than you sitting with your comfort. Yes. And that is the power of titles and that is the power of words. Yes. Mm. So I, 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 I told them those are interpreted and I said behind them, some of them you find that it's a group of ten. And I said, why do you think they work so harmoniously? That's when he's selling veggies, this veggies, veggies. Why do you think they are so peaceful? They're not fighting for the clients. Hi, auntie, we don't know. I said, because there is one intelligent person behind them who started there and now has 10 vendors. She goes and buys and they go and sell. And she controls the market. She controls the price. She does everything. I love what you said about how it's easier for that person tomorrow to become a mutzibe than it is for you in your safe space, you know? Like you wouldn't know how to maneuver around challenges and issues. So, so one day, I mean, business is business. I've been in this space. One day, the, the money is not there. The money is there. One day, something happens and whatever, and you go into this panic mode and you somehow develop some kind of medical condition. But you look at someone who has done so much with little. When she's got this equipment, she thinks this is it. Yes. I can do anything with it. Whether the the phones are not working or something, they always has to be a plan mm. to supplement and make sure things are moving. Mm. So for me, I feel like, I, and I, I say to people, I speak to young people, I say, you don't stay there. Don't stay in poverty. Don't glorify it. Don't make it your norm. Get out. Mm. Get out so that you can experience wealth. Mm. And I always say to people, I've been extremely poor. The only way that the universe can balance it is that I become extremely rich. Mm. But you know, actually, what I, what I, the impression that I get is that wealth for you is not just money. It's not. It, uh, no, no, it's not. Uh, for me, it's waking up knowing that I'm doing something that I love. It's waking up knowing that I've changed somebody's life. And I'm, I'm so humbled in December when the domestic workers come to our office. Sometimes they sit there on Saturday. We're like, why are you guys here? They say, no, we came to chill with you. Oh, we wow. So we just want to <laughs> oh be with goodness. you. Oh, my goodness. And when you look at them, and obviously when you see someone who comes from a particular background and how they look, torn shoes and everything, and you see them in December, three, six months later, and they look nice and like clean and neat and glowing. happy. Yes. And they glow. For me, I sleep so much better at night knowing that and I that did is, that. That is wealth. That is the wealth that you're talking wealth, about, yeah. right? I couldn't have put it better myself. I always, like, I always look at homeless people and I can't help but think, you know, you've got to have a certain ingenuity to be able to survive yeah. like that. Right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I've actually always imagined if I had no choice, if that, if my only option was to be on my own out there, like, who's the first person you go to? Mm. Um, if at all, mm. you know, where's the first bridge you sleep under mm. and why? Yeah. And I think what, what, uh, comfort does, it, it, it robs us, I think, of, um, discovering, yeah. you know, what our own, what our own, potential is what our own capacity is for for survival you know mm. if you've never had to think of those things if you've never had to improvise in that way mm. it, it almost ro- robs us of our own strength right absolutely mm. yeah lastly we asked lindy Bear what she thinks the unique power of domestic workers in south africa is and this is what she had to say I always say to them, you're so privileged because you, you, you work directly with your CEO and you can impact directly. Mm. You can get an increase every three months. Mm. Because I work for a bank, I work for HSBC and so forth. bureaucracy. Yeah. I can tell you now that my CEO does not know who the hell I am. <laughs> <laughs> I was a number. I was like, F. They don't know who the hell Lindue is. But you are my auntie every morning. 
you must do something that is positive, that is about impacting positively. And mm-hmm. I always give examples about my aunties. I know my auntie can't swim. But when my son comes from swimming, he says, what did you do today? Show me. Oh, you did it like this. Oh, wow. And what did you do? Backst- what is that? Show me. And, you know, for me, I look at her and say, she takes so much interest in that. Yes. I want to give you an increase tomorrow. Yes. And one day I come back from, from the gym and I'm so tired and so forth and I'm moody. She already knows my moods just by looking at me. And oh, she wow. took the time to... To study, to learn that. you, yes. and she will say, "Oh, I was. Are you okay? I know. No, I'm just okay. You let. She knows when I leave my gym bag, and it's, it's not on. Something is up. So she say, okay, no, it's fine. Give me your keys. I'll go get your gym bag.' She doesn't have to do that. It's not part of a job spec. It's not in our contract. But she does it just mm-hmm. to show her love and her care and her appreciation for what she does. And what what I do as madam, I give increase again <laughs> so in a year it's so true you can get four increases just by impacting directly on your ceo it's so true you don't and have that is powerful so, so. No. but i mean be, beyond beyond that positive influence in terms of your work relationship do you also feel that domestic workers can have a psychological influence or spiritual influence as well of course i think you know what most of employers majority have kids and, you know, it's how you teach their kids, how you raise their kids, that they can see that this person is spiritually grounded or not. But moreover, before you can do that, you have to sort yourself, you, mm. Lindy, with first. Mm. Because you need to be comfortable in your skin. You need to appreciate what you're doing at that time. You need to understand your why. Somebody said you must always ask your why. What, what is your why? What why am I why? here? Mm. If you can understand your why and say, I'm here to work and raise my kids and, and take care of myself and get a salary, but also I want to impact positively in this family and be part of them and bond with them and so forth. If you understand your why, you are able to be comfortable with yourself and you're not easily intimidated. Okay. You know, and, and it's easy for you to sort of teach the children that. Mm. And, I- and it doesn't have to be a religion. Mm. It can just be how you carry yourself. Mm. Yes. Yeah. And then I think the last part of that question would be, um, what, in your opinion, is the power domestic workers have for the country as a whole? I, I always say to domestic workers, if you were not in existence, I'm sure President Zuma would not wear a nicely ironed shirt. <laughs> <laughs> That's one. Number two, domestic workers contribute towards UIF. That we need to understand. And that's a, a contribution towards the economy of this country. Mm. And we need to get to a point where domestic workers are upskilled and have enough skills to earn above the tax threshold so that they can contribute towards tax. Mm. You understand what I'm saying? And moreover, I feel like if my mother, because my, my husband was also raised by a domestic worker, ironically, if, and, and I always ask him, but you, you know, you went and studied. And she says, you know why I went and studied? Because every morning my mother woke up and became a domestic worker, worked so hard. I chose not to be a criminal and to just say to her, it was not in vain. Oh. So that is the power. To mm. fight crime, you don't have to have lots of billboards and stuff. You have to start in a household. Mm. You need to capacitate one person, upskill one person so that they can provide. So a boy child does not see the need to go to next door and steal. So they are at the heart of all South African For communities. For me, they are. Okay, and that was kind of um, the wrap of our conversation with, with Lindy. But after this, um, she was joined by two ladies. Okay, so... What's happened is that from all of our discussions with domestic workers, we found that their uniform seems to be the single embodiment of all of the stigma they feel around the work that they do. I mean, never in my life did I ever think that a piece of clothing could be so loaded, right? Yeah. So in the last part of our conversation, uh, Lindy Ware was joined by Susanna Langa, 
who is currently a domestic worker and is easily one of the fiercest women I know, as well as Tash, who is a fashion designer and is also all kinds of uh, fabulous. And anyway, we asked him to do a, a full critique of the domestic worker's uniform. And these are some of the really powerful things they had to say. You know what? I think it's redundant and it's very old. That's one. Mm-hmm. It's not fashionable. It doesn't make you feel special. If you look at different uniforms, like uh, you look at the, because usually I would walk into your Edgars and all that, and you look at ladies that are wearing those nice Pons uniforms. So you walk into Sobet, for, for goodness sake. Mm-hmm. Sobe has nice, beautiful uniforms. And when I look at them, I ask myself, can't we have uniforms that are snazzy, that make someone feel comfortable, but yet beautiful and dignified enough to feel okay with what they're doing. If you look at professionals in, in different sectors that have uniform, automatically you respect them. And I came from the 70s. I don't want to disclose my age. We <laughs> <laughs> already did, remember? You're quarter to 40. But in my, I mean, you're the most youthful person in this room. My goodness. <laughs> and, and one of the things I grew up knowing and understanding and respecting were nurses. Because I grew up in an era where mm. nurses wore apes or capes. What is oh, this thing? Yeah. They wore capes and they they had those nice things and stuff. And to me, it was the most nice profession in the world. So elegant. Of course. And those things on the head. And it's a crown, but (laughs) more like you're educated. Exactly. And it's almost high fashion. And it's high fashion. Um, um, The uniform that I'm currently having is not a nice uniform. Because, one, it undermines you. Even when you go to the shops, Mm. when you're wearing that three tights, an apron and the duke. Mm-hmm. And in itself, the overall, it, it doesn't make you feel comfortable mm. because the way people look at you is different to anybody who would be wearing an overall mm. or they wouldn't know what he's doing. Is he a digger? Is he a plumber or what? Mm. But when you're wearing that uniform, they definitely know that's a nanny. That's mm. a domestic mm. worker. That's a maid. I, I watch Devious Maids. N- not all the time and not because of the storyline, <laughs> but because of, of their uniform. <laughs> I think it's so nice and snazzy. It's so beautiful. And also, I was telling you, there's a series called Raising Hope. There's a woman who's working there as a housekeeper. She's wearing something like what I'm wearing all the time and with pens because people also need to have an option of pens of because in this day and age, pens are comfortable when you're working mm-hmm. and when you have to go up the stairs and the, the, there's guests downstairs mm-hmm. that might be looking up. So I think also you have to take into account the, the pens design, like the two-piece. Of course. I mean, even I, I was thinking about the two-piece design with the pens as well or something long sleeve because sometimes, especially in Johannesburg, it is so cold. Mm-hmm. You know, the winter are so unforgiving and we need to get, keep warm um, I don't know if anyone watches this thing there's yes, a lady with the uniform course. and um, the the yes. it's short but the design from top never it's mind beautiful. the shortness mm-hmm. it's very nice when we look at runway shows for example mm. Not every woman is 1.76 meters tall, you know? I think Absolutely not. We're, we're not all size zeros. And not everyone wants Africa. to be either. I think that's important to note. <laughs> <laughs> Just say. Okay. So it, it's very important, especially um, in our markets, that we have to see, we have to have that in mind that we are designing for the African woman. We are designing for women comes in all different shapes and sizes, you know? I'm petite. Um, I'm well endowed, like an African woman down yes. there, you know, but I have, uh, I'm half size zero, half, mm. you know, so there's somebody else who would want to, to hide some insecurities about their body. Some people want this to be appealing, um, or accentuate certain mm-hmm. types, types or of just parts of mm. their bodies, you know, 
So we keep all of that in mind when we're designing clothes. Firstly, we have to take into consideration, yes, the overall it might be unappealing, but it does serve a certain purpose. I'm sure you'd be with me with this on this one, uh, Lindy, in that you need, because it's the, the job, they move around a lot, you know, there's a lot of activities that's going on, so you need something that is going to be loose. I'm not saying sh- shapeless, you yes. know, but you have to be able to work around it, move, go there and there, you know. But at the same time, we can't just put them in some shapeless garment, mm. you know. They have to feel good about it. You have to be looking to go to work because of your your clothes also, you know. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play de- devil's advocate here and say that it isn't just about uh, the design, it's also about the person. If you had to tell her anything that she had to design into your uniform, what would you ask her for? Um, first I would say If she can design something that When I wear I will feel more comfortable in More happier To say okay This uniform doesn't make me a mate Even if it can be built like a dress Not sleeveless but Nice and formal dress with buttons It, it, it Obviously it won't be short Because the madams won't want a short uniform It can be by the knees okay. because like if there was an elderly say in the 50s you the design will be the same but you've got to consider the length but it's also yeah. very important that it's also very important that when we do design we take into consideration that there's different age ranges mm. there's different uh, body shapes as well and to also take into consideration what you're saying that the madam wouldn't be happy because imagine like Lindy started working when she was 18 years old she was young. The madam was probably older. If the madam has a husband at home and Lindy's there with her fresh body, <laughs> she's not going to be happy about that. Lindy's going to lose her job. Fair and week. square. Fair and square. Exactly. Yeah. That's why we say it mustn't be over the knees. Of course. It should be exactly by the knees because like if I'm slim like this, right, the old uniforms, you get small. That small doesn't fit me. I have to tuck it in by the sides Mm. And it's going to be funny It's going to have no shape And you get the medium also It's also as big as So at least if we can If if you can design something like I'm a 30 or 32 Those kind of sizes And it will be shaped We'll be very happy without the duke the, the issue of the do, it's uh, also must consider issues of hygiene because most people would want, especially with the nannies, because they prepare children's food and mm. stuff like that. So for me, the duke is more like a hygiene. I'm just saying to the designer, she must come up with nice dukes. So but that but as a it. but as a mother, do you wear a duke when you cook for I was your family? You know, uh, sometimes. <laughs> yes. No, but it is. Uh, no, you know what? They're providing a service at the end of the day, and it's like when you go to Nando's and they're preparing your food. You can't use you can't use that logic, right? Mm. The point is that they're providing a service, and mm. the employer is paying. And so the same way you expect that when you go to McDonald's or Nando's or KFC, that they will handle your food appropriately and wear those nets and and also wear gloves. Mm. You kind of you, you you you're entitled to have the same expectations of somebody else. But can we honestly say that? That when the madam throws you that ugly looking overall, that they're thinking, oh, the duke is going to be for hygiene purposes. They're just thinking it goes with the whole thing. That's how they make it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> just wear it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, I think you have a minority of, 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 of the employers that actually wants it for the hygiene. And some of them would say, you can wear your own duke. 
Some yes, that's what I was wondering book, now. Yeah. It doesn't matter because yeah. that that why that one uh, it's it's like a, a, a it's triangle. A triangle. It's mm. a triangle. It's very small. Oh, I, I, I I wouldn't wear, because I wear dukies that even because I've got this. Yes, so I wear very big. Ask dookie. any black woman and for also, a duke and she'll give you a really a big, solid one. Yes, like and a nothing will you know, fall like out of that, but not that triangle. By the way, as something you can use to wrap your child. Of course, and I think it's also important to highlight that the fabric those dukes are made from mm-hmm. they are so hard you all you can do is just tie a knot at the back a very ugly knot <laughs> as, as you know yeah. and that's yeah. it so, yeah. really, so, it, so that's very on. interesting it's not even functional like no, it needs to be not at mm. all half yeah. your hair is still showing on yes. the side so mm. i don't see the purpose so either way that actually needs to be redesigned of course. Yeah. it's not just about us saying let's wear that uniform yes in show of support right yeah it's not employees enough employees also they should think would how would i feel if i had to wear that would i step outside with that even if it wasn't a a maid's uniform you know in, just or to, anything to in go general. into a store and buy a garment of that shape no one would want to do that mm. so they are the ones that should actually be supporting us mm. and supporting the yes. domestic helpers to say yes as women, we understand how they probably feel. Yes, we want them to wear better clothes. Yes, we want to help them to build our confidence, to bring that dignity back. Mm. So this is not just a one-sided fight. Mm. It involves all of us. But, but what, I, what I really like is that the argument that it is functional won't necessarily stand. And that brings us uh, to the end of our, our conversation on, on stigmas with uh Lindiwe, Susanna Langa and and Tash. Uh we really hope you enjoyed it. On on a final note, I just wanna say that hopefully we all know by now that uh democracy is only half the battle. It is by no means freedom and it is extremely dangerous to confuse that. Stigma is a very real thing. And as we've discovered here today, even a piece of clothing can contradict a democracy. So, perhaps the next time you buy someone an item of clothing, you'll be more aware of how you're affecting their right to life, liberty, and to the pursuit of happiness, as was eloquently put by the American Declaration of Independence. Um, it really is food for thought and... I hope that we all think about it. Tulsa, do you have any last words? Um, I just want to add one little quote. Um, it's from uh, it's it's from a paper on social psychology of mm. dress. Um, it's by academics Johnson and Lennon, and they just wrote a little small piece here that I took from their article. It says. For dress to function as a means of communication, individuals need to assign meaning to dress. Meanings are tied to what aspects of dress are learned over a lifetime, are tied to place and time, and are constantly undergoing change. And that is as equal um, in the negative, the positive aspect of clothing mm. is that we can still fill it. There's still always room to fill it with new meaning mm. and new representation, and it can st- it can fill a new place mm. in society mm. um and and i i thought that that was extremely powerful and i believe that this is exactly what we can do with every stigmatized work role um 
And it, it was such a pleasure speaking to these incredibly powerful and astute ladies. Absolutely. Anything um, can be turned on its head, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and as usual, such a pleasure in Bali. <laughs> always, my darling, always. Um, and thanks as always for listening, guys. We'll catch you later on the Mate Sessions with Cliff Central. Have a good one. Cliffcentral.com.